Welcome. Along with me. Oh, gnarly! Oh my God, I shot my eye out. These guys are eleven. Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I'm Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I've recovered from my jackass antics just in time to do Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yay. Uh, Welcome to the party, pal. It begs the question, which one of you fuckers lost a bet with Joel? (laughs) In the future, we shall do this show in the future. Yes, this week we're doing Plan 9 from Outer Space, the 1957 version versus the 2014... 15. 15. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. The only people that care are their moms. Um, <laughs> reimagining. I care. Of this. Returning. Re- the returning of... Yes, we have... There are will be opinions... Spoilers. Yeah. Patrick loved it. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have a better idea than Plan 9 for Miter Space, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. And you can also join the conversation on Discord by clicking the Join Us link in the show notes. What have we been talking about recently? Aside from the horrific accident that happened? Oh, yeah. A couple of our listeners call out to you guys. We're so glad you survived. Yes. Right. That was terrifying. And we weren't even there. I'm a little jealous because uh, one of our listeners uh, just related to us that he has one of the few pieces of original Twin Peaks merch that I have never owned. Ah, yes. They were just listening to that today. Yeah, the LP. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I have owned most of the books and most of the cassettes at one point or another, but I've never had the uh, original composed uh, music on vinyl or anything, really. So it's kind of cool. Ah, but yes, we don't have any feedback, but we do have the question of the week, which is, what is your opinion on the worst and best children's show? Should be interesting because only a couple of us have kids. Right. That we know about, Patrick. What? What? <laughs> Patrick, would, uh, Patrick would like to join the conversation. No, I would. I, I For best, I would go with uh, Mr. Rogers simply because, you know, you're not going to top Mr. Rogers. He was he was the champion. Um, how, how nice. And I would say Teletubbies is the worst one out there because that show was stupid and annoying and doesn't teach anybody anything and actually like lessons language development in children so yes fuck that show i'm gonna go another direction with best kid show uh, with a controversial choice but i wanted to pick something that uh, someone like I, i don't get me wrong i have nothing against mr rogers but he's been dead so long that anyone who watched him is no longer a kid truth well, I thought we were supposed to say from our kids' childhood or something. Or we just in general, yeah, just just, just your just opinion. In general. Well, it's still, I'm still going to stick with Mr. Rogers. So. I, I'm going to go with the uh, new remake of My Little Pony. I, I know that the fandom has a whole lot of like weirdness about it, but the thing is, is that show had way better writing than it needed to to be successful. Solid lessons. You talking about the friendship is magic thing that I've heard about? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I've watched most of the first season. I wouldn't say I'm a, a like like part of the fandom, but like that show had better writing and better animation than it needed to to be successful. They they took a lot of talent from previous like Samurai Jack and uh, Billy and Mandy alums. I'm pretty sure uh, Dexter's Lab alums. It was a really good show. How can you not love a show that has Weird Al Yankovic as a cameo? He got his own show with uh, uh, Murphy's Milo Murphy's Law, which is a good show, by the way, on Disney. Weird Al was a pony, too. So I, I kind of have to agree with Josh for a little bit on that one because I have two girls growing up that was on. I probably have watched more My Little Pony Friendship is Magic than an adult man should admit. But I have two daughters that I can kind of be like, it was continually playing. It was a pretty good show. It really was. I mean, it was it was another one of those where there was enough going on to entertain the kids and there was enough jokes made over the kids' heads to catch the parents every now and then. And I'm sure Mike and I agree since we've talked about it in the past on the worst kids show. Oh, fuck Caillou. Yeah, fucking Caillou. <laughs> Nobody likes Caillou. If you are a parent who hates Caillou... Call in, let us know. We'd love to hear. I mean, Caillou ran, I can't believe it ran from 97 to 2018. What the hell, people? How many things could the little bastard whine about? And how many different ways could he misbehave and be rewarded for it? Right? Yeah. Garbage. I have luckily avoided Caillou, but I've heard all about it. So I've never. You heard that, folks? Everybody bomb Patrick's uh, feed with Caillou clips. (laughs) Oh, God. I Patrick, I I'm so sorry. Yeah, Caillou was like an example to the kids on how not to behave. Caillou makes, uh, what's the sister's name in Arthur? JD. Yeah, Ar- Caillou makes JD look like a like a friggin' saint. Uh well, for for oh wait, did did you guys all get your your best and worst in? Yeah, I think Mike and I are lockstep with both our best and our worst. So yeah. Because I well, I thought Mike was going to go with Animaniacs. I was kind of surprised he didn't. Well, for me, the best, and and this is just, I'm thinking in terms of like, since I've had kids rather than taking my own timeline, because once I started watching SpongeBob, I fell in love with it and I'd watch it on my oh, own. SpongeBob is a good show. Yeah. Like that first uh, five yeah. to 10 years or so, um, even after they went to bed, I would sit up and sometimes that I'd just watch it on my own. And I feel like SpongeBob is almost not a kid show. It's almost like it's written for high school and college kids more than like little kids. It it, it eventually became that. And then then they had a spinoff show now, which is Camp Coral, which is just specifically aimed at like you know seven to ten year olds. <clears throat> and for the worst show, I I didn't want to go with the because I figured both you guys went with Caillou, and that would be like number one outside of maybe Barney or something. I wanted to go with the one that was a little bit more obscure. There was a show on that was a spinoff of Jimmy Neutron called Planet Sheen. Dear God. Ooh. Do you know that one? I know of it. I do know that one. And that one, that's like the, it's like chewing tinfoil. Sheen Estevez, who gets himself sent to another planet and has misadventures. And it lasted somehow for three years. And it's just, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, good. It's, it's pretty awful. I, I would say for my, like, Pat said for Mr. Rogers for a kid's show fact when he was actually a kid. The reason I didn't say Animaniacs is because I wasn't a kid when I watched it. Oh. You know, if I were to go with that, I would probably go with Battle of the Planets. I watch that shit every day. 
I don't even know what that is. Yeah, see, then it gets tough. Battle of the Planets? Gotcha, yeah. man. With G-Force? Yeah, it was an anime. Anime, they all have their bird. They have the helmets look like birds. Mark, Jason, um, Keop, Princess. Keith? And Tiny. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking, I'm getting Voltron mixed and up. Then they had the ship that looked like a looked like, an, looked like a hawk, and it would burst into flame when they would destroy it. It was kind of like their version of the uh, Voltron sword. At the end, they flipped it. An anime they brought over and, and dubbed yeah. into English. The bad guy was originally named Zoltar, and he used to switch from boy to girl in the Japanese version. But for some reason, they didn't bring in that back <laughs> over here for 70s. Yeah, we got booby-fying robots on, on Transor Z. Yeah. I mean, what I would have to go from my own childhood is obvious. I've talked about it like three or four times. Prior's place. Such a strange one, but... Right. Well, you know, and that one of the thing is that one was you when you say it out loud, we want Richard Pryor to do a kid show. And you're like, that makes absolutely no sense. But it was hilarious. Yeah, like I legitimately loved it when I was a kid. It's not just this ironic I knew who he was later. I mean, yes, it's batshit insane as an adult to look back and they gave this guy a kid show, but I legitimately liked it when it was on. Well, it's it's like the sack lunch bunch that uh, John Mulaney did like he's a guy that probably shouldn't be doing a kid show but he did and it was really good and well done and entertaining it happens like that sometimes yeah I was impressed with that I mean George Carlin oh an honorable mention considering Patrick remind me of kid shows that almost aren't kid shows I'd have to give an honorable mention to Gravity Falls oh well oh Gravity Falls is fantastic stuff. that that's way beyond that's next level it's a Disney channel, so it's technically made for kids. But, like, I, I honestly think it is a more family-friendly, like, in the vein of Rick and Morty. Yeah. That thing goes so deep, man. There's so much going on in that show. All right. Good question. And that means it is now about that time. Yes. This week in music, movies, and TV. Sports. Sort of. So this week we are looking at March 15th, 1957, the release of the first Plan 9 from Outer Space. Haven't we done this year before, Patrick? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So music. The number one song in the land was Young Love by Tab Hunter. Good song. Do I know that one? You probably know the Sonny James version. Oh, is, okay. Yeah, I do. This is, yeah, this is the original. Okay. I could never listen to Tab Hunter. I just, I heard that he caused cancer in lab rats and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't risk it. Uh, so moving on, uh, Marlon David Jackson, the sixth child of the Jackson family and member of the Jackson five was born on March 12th. And that's a thing. Yep. I love the Jackson five. Can't <laughs> say I'm a big Marlon fan, but I mean. I mean, he had his, I'm sure he had his fan club, you know. He's There's no like, Tito. Oh, <laughs> nobody's Tito, man. There's probably like six fans out there somewhere that had a little club. <laughs> I guess there's probably six Titos. Like, a few more than that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, Marlon, we love Marlon. And he got like the occasional letter and wrote him back and. And finally, on March 19th, Elvis Presley purchased a mansion in Memphis, Tennessee, and called it Graceland. Oh. 
I don't know why I couldn't say mansion. I don't either. Who's been to Graceland other than me? I have not been to Graceland. I want to go someday. I have not yet been to Graceland. It, it's on my long-term bucket list of places to go, but I've not been, no. Wow, I've been twice. Ooh. Well, I mean, you know, my road trips to Indianapolis and Chicago. I mean, uh-huh. going through Memphis is pretty easy. Uh-huh. How is the Jungle Room? Is it as amazing as I think it is? It's it's something. <laughs> that just this big old Ooh, thick shag, big old thick shag carpet and furniture that looks like it's straight out of Rainforest Cafe, you know. But like, nice. oh, yeah, it's like it's, the, looks like the back of a really big uh, conversion van. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And like walking by the kitchen, like they they still got the original appliances in there. So it's like these, it's like ooh, I'm looking at the toaster that you know Elvis used to make his toast in. It's it's yeah, just walking through, man. You're you're like this is clearly a hillbilly who found money. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now I want to go. I mean, yeah, I definitely. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, you got to make sure you check out the whole grounds, not just the house, too. All right. But before that, we'll move on to movies. The number one movie in the land was The Bridge on the River Kwai, starring Alec Guinness, William Holden, and Sesue Hayakawa. Such a good movie. Amazing movie. Yeah. I'm not actually sure I've seen it. Oh. Oh. Yeah, Alec Guinness is amazing in it. If you if you like war movies, it's one of the best ones. It's not it's not like a like a direct like frontline war. It's like, you know, more behind the scenes POW situation type, but it's a just a great war story. I'm gonna have to make sure whether I've seen it or not. I'm not hundred percent sure I've seen it. I, I don't I know I haven't seen it, but I'm not hundred percent sure why. Seems like something I should have watched at some point. Right. I do recommend it. It is it is really good. And not to mention, you know, Alec Guinness is amazing in everything. Mm-hmm. It's a young Alec Guinness playing a, a like a young lieutenant, I think. Yeah. Excellent. And the, the, the whole, the, yeah, I don't know if you guys know the plot behind it, but the plot is uh, they're POWs and, and they're, they find out that they've got engineers and builders and stuff in the, in the group and they force them to build this bridge that they need built to get supplies somewhere. And by the end of the movie, they've made the decision, you know, they have to make the decision whether or not they're going to destroy the beautiful bridge that they built <laughs> huh. to keep the, you know, to keep the supply line down, you know? Now I'm sure I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Shelton Jackson, better known as Spike Lee, born on March 20th, is a film director, producer, screenwriter, actor, and professor. His production company, 40 Acres and a Mule Filmworks, has produced more than 35 films since 1983. He made his directorial debut in 86 with She's Gotta Have It and has since written and directed such films as Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, Malcolm X, Clockers, 25th Hour, and Chirac, among others. Lee also acted in 10 of his films. Lee's work has continually explored race relations, urban crime and poverty, and other political issues. He has won numerous accolades, including an Academy Award and a BAFTA Award, two Emmys, two Peabody Awards, and the Cannes Grand Prix. Lee has four films selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So, yeah, that's Spike Lee. I'm sure we're familiar. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know what more can be said about him than everything I just said. So I'll move on to uh, Born on March 10th. Shannon Lee Tweed Simmons is one of the most successful actresses of mainstream erotica and erotic thriller films. 
Playboy's Playmate of the Year 1982, Tweed has also appeared in more than 60 films and in several television series. She's married to Gene Simmons, bassist and co-lead singer of the metal band Kiss, and they starred in the acronym of the week, GSFJ, which I'm pretty sure stands for Gary Sinise Fuck Joel. (laughs) (laughs) Joel, we never knew. Wow. Is it it true? Does he have magic legs? (laughs) Lieutenant Dan. Was my man in Amsterdam? Oh. Wow! Awesome. Oh, a nice, nice reference there saying metal band. Yeah, I got that too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just but, threw that in there. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, that is that is uh, Gene Simmons' family jewels. Sorry, uh, sorry, Josh. No, actually, it's the, the first thing he said is is accurate. <laughs> a reality TV show that portrayed their family life from 2006 until 2012. Gene Simmons is a weird looking dude, but makes me wonder about, well, yes, I don't know. She's rather attractive. Gene Simmons is Gene Simmons. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to take that outside of that. So TV, TV, top shows in the land were Gunsmoke, the Danny Thomas show, Have Gun, Will Travel, and Tales of Wells Fargo. Fascinating. Sort of guy who runs around the American Southwest signing people up for credit cards that they don't want. <laughs> It was just a tail tale of a of a branch of the bank, you know, people coming in and depositing their paychecks and asking for change. This guy wants a bank loan. Can my dog have a doggy biscuit? I don't even know what a doggy biscuit is. <laughs> have gub will travel. No, it's his gun. It's his gun. No, he clearly wrote gub. <laughs> <laughs> have have nug. What are you talking about? Bananas. Woody Allen. And I was referencing Frasier, so we were all over the pop culture board there. Was it bananas? Take the money and run. Take the money and run. Sorry, not not bananas. Take the money and run. Sorry. Okay, so literally nothing that's on topic with what I want to talk about right now. Right. Oh, my God. Okay, so born March 15th, Park Overall is an actress, activist, and former U.S. Senate candidate known for her trademark heavy Southern accent. Her best-known role was Nurse Laverne Todd in the sitcom Empty Nest, though she has appeared in a number of feature films, including Biloxi Blues, Mississippi Burning, Talk Radio, and In the Family. Talk Radio is pretty good. Biloxi Blues is very funny, and Mississippi Burning is, is very good. So Yeah. yeah. Biloxi, I love Biloxi Blues. I did not yeah. know she was a U.S. Senate candidate, though. That's fascinating. Huh. Yeah. Good on her. Also, so the ninth Emmy Awards were held on March 16th at the NBC studios in Burbank, California, with Desi Arnaz as the host. The top shows of the night were Caesar's Hour and Playhouse 90, each show winning a then-record five major awards. It's a major award. <laughs> a Caesar's Hour became the first show to be nominated in all four major acting categories, which it swept. For over 50 years, it remained the only show to win every major acting award. In 2004, the miniseries Angels in America became the second show to sweep the acting field. And in 2020, Schitt's Creek became the third. Aww. Interesting fact, along with all those other ones, categories were sorted based on running time instead of genre. That is kind of weird. That's wild. Wow. So like half hour shows are against other half hour shows. Huh. Yep. 
Weird. That's really strange. I have never heard of Caesar's Hour, nor have I recalled Angels in America at all. It's got to be a Sid Caesar show, I would imagine. Angels in America was a... a, About about the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, version of a... I believe it was a stage play originally. Yeah, that's 100%. Uh, I know Mary Louise Parker was in it. Yep. Also correct. Yep. I've never seen it, though. Me either. Uh, You are correct. It's starring Ah. Sid Caesar, Janet Blair, Carl Reiner. Angels in America? He wasn't in that. (laughs) Caesars in America. (laughs) You know, know, if anybody from Zencaster is listening right now, we need an in the corner button. (laughs) Just a button for a minute. Put somebody in the corner. That would be great. I would love that. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Oh, I'm going to put baby in the corner. It mutes him 90% all the way down to 10% for just a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So that's TV. All right, moving on to sports. Harry Dean was a left-arm bowler who could bowl fast, medium swing, or slower spinners to suit the conditions. He played for Lancashire and England. Dean improved steadily to be, by 1910, uh uh-oh, Clearly the best bowler in the Lancashire 11 with 137 wickets. In 1911, Dean went from strength to strength, taking 175 wickets in the county championship and being, by 23 wickets, the leading bowler in first-class cricket. And this in spite of often resting when the fast bowler was away from business. In 1912, now almost exclusively bowling spin, Dean was better than ever and in wet weather carried all before him, taking 13 for 49 against Worcestershire and 15 wickets against Kent, both at Old Trafford. However, he surprised the critics in 1920 with a superb season, taking over 120 wickets. He bowled very well in 1921, even if helped by some appalling batting sides, but then switched to Cheshire in the Minor Counties Championship for the 1922 and 23 seasons. After his retirement from playing cricket, he coached at Rosal School and he died on March 12th of this week. I loved him in Alien. <laughs> That's Harry Dean Stanton, sir. Harry Dean Stanton played cricket? <laughs> Two different men. Yeah, he was a mass feedium. Mass, mass feedium? He was a smash smash would, would you like to try that joke again, Joel? <laughs> nope. Where's the corner button? I'm moving on. <laughs> I am moving on. So yeah, if you couldn't tell, that was just completely cut and paste. I was like, I don't know what half of this is. So we'll just, yeah. So that's your cricket fact of the week. You know what the tip off that you had cut and paste that was? The commentary of appalling batting sides. Because I can't you see I can't see you saying anything is appalling ever. <laughs> Some things are appalling. I was gonna say, just wait. <laughs> 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 and lastly. On March 16th, the Toronto Maple Leafs totaled 37 points in a 14-1 win over the New York Rangers. The 37 points tied a record already set by the Detroit Red Wings in January 1944 against the New York Rangers. That record was erased in 1975 when the Buffalo Sabres... <laughs> that's just for, that was for you, Joel. <laughs> when the Buffalo Sabres totaled 40 points in a win over the Washington Capitals. And by the way, just so you know, in hockey, you get points for assists and... Uh, what's called a hockey assist, which is the pass before the assist. 
and then for the goal. That's how you end up with 37 points in a 14-goal game. I actually didn't know that, and I watch hockey occasionally. Yep. There's there's the assist, and then there's the, like, I don't know. I Everybody calls it a hockey assist outside of hockey. I'm not exactly sure if there's a term for it in hockey. It might just be called a hockey assist in hockey. I don't know. But yeah, the pass before the pass also gets credited with an assist. Huh. And now you know. Play us off, keyboard Joel. Na 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 na. All right, so back. And I'm Patrick. Yes, you are. And I'm Joel. <laughs> and welcome to 40 Going On 14. This week, 1957 and shit. No. Uh, no, <laughs> we're watching. We have watched. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, The IMDb says, Evil aliens attack Earth and set their terrible Plan 9 into action. As the aliens resurrect the dead of the Earth, the lives of the living are in danger. (laughs) As they resurrect a few of the dead. (laughs) Threes of the dead. (laughs) They did say terrible plan. (laughs) <laughs> plan nine, not so good. We need to move on to plan ten. How many of your, how many of their dead have you resurrected? Three. <laughs> like this plan's gonna take a a lot longer than I anticipated. We're gonna waste one of them to send a message. <laughs> one of them is incredibly old and going to be worth nothing. <laughs> what? All right, before let's let's get through the cast before we get into this this crap. Edward 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 D Wood Jr. Jr. Uh, directed, wrote, probably paid for, is known for such as Bride of the Monster, yes. Glenn and Glenda, mm-hmm. Glenn or Glenda, yes. Glenn or Glenda, The Final Curtain, Boots, Jailbait, Wetbacks, Wetbacks. That was one of his early films, yeah. Literally just a bunch of shit is what he's responsible for. Oh. Orgy of the Dead's pretty bad. I agree with that. Wetbacks. Hard on luck, a fishing charter boat captain unwisely gets involved with a crime ring smuggling me- illegal Mexicans into California. <laughs> nice. Real nice. Holy crap. All right. He was an alcoholic, and by the end, he was doing anything. Oh, yeah, by the end, he was doing anything. He he had long given up on being picky. Yeah, he was trying in the beginning. Oh, well, he needed, uh, you know yeah, what? Just because you try doesn't mean you do well. <laughs> this show is an example of that. The stars Gregory Walcott as Jeff Trent. <laughs> you may know him as Jeff Trent from Plan 9 or Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> you may know him from things as this movie. <laughs> or... The guy, or Putnam, from Every Which Way But Loose. Oh, what? Yep. Yeah, and he was this, I mean, he's got some weird, weird crossover here. He was the sheriff in House 2, the second story. Uh, He was in a TV show, Vegas. He was in Barnaby Jones, the sixth The one with, wait, the one with James Woods? James Wood. That Vegas? Uh, The TV show. Or James Caan. James Caan, sorry. James Caan. Yeah, I'm just... James... Can't remember James Wood being in that one. Yeah. Uh, So, you know... Is is that the same one? Ooh, piece of candy. (laughs) What's that? Is that the same show? Was he in that same show? Yeah. Or is that a different Vegas? No, that Vegas. Hmm. Yeah. That Vegas show. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. Uh, 
<laughs> Mona McKinnon. Ooh, piece of candy. Loves it. You can tell how much we want to talk about this. But <laughs> Mona McKinnon as Paula Trent. And Mona McKinnon know her as Paula Trent. <laughs> this is going to be a recurring thing. Right? <laughs> uh, also, Duke Moore as Lieutenant Harper. Uh, was also in Night of the Ghouls and the Sinister Urge. So those are more Edward movies. Yeah, they are. I feel like the, I feel like I was in that movie, The Sinister Urge. Tom Keene as Colonel Edwards. Uh, again, this is going to be a theme. Carl Anthony as Patrolman Larry. I think Patrolman Larry was he the one that scratched his head with his gun? I think so. Yeah. Paul Marco as Patrolman Kelton. Tor Johnson as Inspector Clay. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is such a setup. Dudley Manlove as Eros. There's no way that's his real name. <laughs> he had to have been like he had to have been like, put me down as Dudley Manlove, because I am not putting my name to this. That's that has to be the thing. But he was also in, uh, he was a narrator for Final Curtain and played a couple things in uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. All right. He's Dudley Manlove. Yeah. Yeah, Then once this this movie took off, he's like, fuck, I'm stuck with that name. I got to stick with this. Uh, Joanna Lee has Tana. John Breckenridge as Ruler. Bunny. Lyle Talbot as General Roberts. Mm-hmm. Malia Nurmi as Vampire Girl, but also Vampira. Malia Nurmi, yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Vampira was a like queen of late night horror. Like, yeah, outside of Chili Billy, she was like the she was the original Elvira. Yeah, right. The second biggest name in this film, basically. Right. Yeah. Who was who was hired just to stand there and hold her hands out all weird like she couldn't put her hands down because they had her waist cinched so tight she couldn't right that's just how she was that was insane and she didn't want to talk in the movie either so well, anyway. can't, who, we'll who get can to that yeah. yeah yeah uh Bill Lugosi as Ghoul Man play the ringer with your hands Criswell as <laughs> the narrator. <laughs> Fucking stupid Joel. It was pretty good though. (laughs) (laughs) Goo man. Play the tombstones with your hands. Scare me. (laughs) Play the tombstones with your hands. It says something when even Joel is dragging it out. (laughs) Oh man. All right. Because I know you guys are going to shit on something I love. So trivia, trivia. <laughs> Let's force this to happen. All right, trivia. Contrary to popular belief, the detective who points his gun at himself several times did it deliberately. The actor wanted to see if Ed Wood would notice. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't know that, and I, I, I know quite a bit about this film. <laughs> Do you think you'll notice if I try and shoot myself before this thing is over? Nah, he's... <laughs> uh, the film played for years in relative obscurity on late-night television until 1980 when critic Michael Medved dubbed it the worst film ever made. Almost instantly, it became a cult classic. I believe that. There are plenty of people like Joel out there. As soon as you label something the worst ever, he has to watch it. Uh, this is not the worst. And I'm, I'm not... I'm not, But I'm, I'm seriously, I'm not like... That's not like a judging thing that will come later. 
I mean, but that is a thing. Like, if if someone says, oh, this is the worst thing ever made, you're like, well, I got to check that out. Yeah. Uh, Bella Lugosi appears in footage shot just before his death, but with no script in mind. Ed Wood wrote the script to accommodate all the footage shot in a cemetery and outside Tor Johnson's house and the new production. I did not know that was Tor Johnson's house, but that makes that even more amazing. And not in a good way. Lugosi was doubled by Tom Mason, Wood's wife's chiropractor. Oh, yep. <laughs> yep. Who is also the colonel. Who is significantly taller than Lugosi and played the part with a cape covering his face. Well, you could barely tell it wasn't Lugosi. So... I know. it was. They played <laughs> yeah. it so well. It was you know, the camera, The camera angles just made the magic happen. I mean, the day for night shots are what really threw it off. If it wasn't for that, oh, this thing would have <laughs> yeah. been a masterpiece. Uh, while some have speculated that flying saucers were paper plates or hubcaps, they were really 148th scale flying saucer plastic model kits from toy manufacturer Paul Lindbergh. Not Paul Lind. <laughs> How do you like my flying saucers? <laughs> How dare you besmirch the name of Paul Lind in this with this movie? Going with besmirch, huh? That center square is going to bitch slap you in hell. Uh, but just for continuity's sake, they modified one and glued a wooden block to the bottom because they knew that they were filming in a square room when they were mm. supposed to be in the flying saucer. Well, I'd hate to have to suspend disbelief, <laughs> so it's a good thing they did that. Uh, would, have, would have thrown me from the movie if I'd have been like, wait a minute, there were no square rooms in that flying saucer? Oh. <laughs> no, remember that one? They had a, they had a, one flying saucer had a square room on the bottom. Oh, that's right. Okay, I'm back in the movie now. Oof. Oh, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> he needs closure on that anecdote, apparently. I saw a UFO. What did it look like? A big cigar. It was cigar-shaped, yeah. That's what he said, anyway. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> can, I start, can I start shitting on this yet? Oh, yeah, let's go. So, yeah, I've spent my entire life not watching this movie because I just, I just knew it was going to be what it was, which it just was a big, just crap fest it just it's it just not I, I mean i've never seen an edward movie i never needed to i knew what i was going to get i knew what I was coming into i'm not trying to i'm really not trying to just be a dick because this is something that you enjoy joel but it just it, it's just i don't enjoy watching something that is just crap i just i, I can't get into it and i, I mean i don't i don't want to just sit here and kick this thing but i mean I was everything that I thought I was going to be and everything that for the reason that I hadn't watched it. Like, it's just, it's just, it was no surprise to me at all. Now I have to back up Pat on this one because I have never seen this movie until now. And I had, I knew it was going to be cheesy fifties sci-fi and I love cheesy fifties sci-fi. I will watch that all night and all day type of thing. The opening statement we are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. I had to pause and rewind to make sure that I understood what the hell he just said. <laughs> Actually, that is a quote. Hang on. That, yeah. Oh, no, no. That's, I know. That's exactly the That's a straight quote straight from the, or is it a quote from somebody else? Yeah, it's a quote from somebody else. Uh, oh. From, uh, I believe, uh, Tomorrowland, uh, Walt Disney World. <laughs> The original Tomorrowland ride at uh, Walt Disney World starts with those words. I really do think that that like the whole intro with Criswell was probably my least. Your least what? 
problematic scene. Like there was, a, there was, I was, I was like, okay, that was kind of whatever, you know. And then the movie started. His, and, his hair was problematic. Uh, it was, it was the style, you know. It's like the onion on his belt. It was the style at the time. <laughs> it's the style at the time. Yeah. I'm, you, know. you know what your hair needs to look like? It needs to look like the rising tide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we can get that tsunami thing going, it'd be great. <laughs> you were successful. But yeah, I mean, the the intro, the narrator guy, you know. But I mean, even he, like, towards the middle or whatever, was just like, okay, I'm over you. So, did either of you see the Ed Wood show, uh, movie with Johnny Depp? No. The Tim Burton I had no, de- no, I had no desire, no. So when when you guys watched it when we watched it back in college, okay, because that was the thing is that is how the two of us got into Ed Wood and this movie in particular. And I got to say, watching it again, it hits different after Dolomite because you've got two of the same thing going on. Something that I became aware of because of a documentary about this guy that just wanted to make movies and didn't really know how, but did anyway. And I got to say, while it's still like not to me, a super entertaining watch, it's slow. The dialogue is hot nonsense. Nobody can act. And it goes from day to night randomly. The effects I do are appreciate crap. this dude did not know how to make a movie and he did not let that stop him in the same way Rudy Ray Moore did. And I don't, I don't, again, I don't think that's something to be lauded. Sometimes, sometimes something should be stopped. I think if Ed Wood was around now, he would be one of the hottest YouTubers out there. It's a strange thing to say. No, I mean, just think about what he's doing. Low, low, but yeah, low budget movies. Yeah. Low budget. He doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's doing it. Right. And that's the thing is there wasn't a YouTube back then. I think you got it right, Mike. Yeah. If he if it was now and you could just have a camera in your pocket and shoot whatever you wanted to. I mean, look at the stuff that's going on right now with the uh, the back room videos. You know, it's just a picture of a guy videoing stuff and uh, shaking a, uh, you know, a um, clothes hanger monster in the corner of the screen. And suddenly it's got millions of hits. I think nowadays that's his type of I would say gonzo filming would fit right in with what is being created now. It's just back then I think the catch was is that there wasn't 50 years of film knowledge to build upon. Sure. How to cut a scene, how to how to edit, you know, stuff that you could look up and find out how to do. But I mean I I do think I respect his his passion behind doing something he wanted to do despite all odds. And he had an audience. He found his audience. And see, that's just, that's the the thing with this that, and, and with a lot of these types of films that I find so endearing is the fact that, and especially in the fifties, you know, nowadays any idiot can use a cell phone, record something and Amazon will play it on prime. But back then he had to, he took, you know, random stock footage footage of his friend that passed away that had been in a a previous film for him. Um, and you know, a little bit of gumption to get money from the, the, the Methodist church, um, and went out and made a movie. And there's something to be said for anyone, whether it's a musician or an artist or a filmmaker that is passionate enough to put their, 
vision on screen or wherever. And to me, that that excitement, that kind of like, um, uh, it comes through to me in in the in the film. That kind of you know childlike abandon. Maybe they don't know what they're doing, but they're going to give it the best try they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's not great. I don't. I'm not going to tell you it's a, it's a fantastic movie, but there's something about it that's charming. It's endearing to me yeah. anyway. And I agree with you, Joel. I mean, we are in the time and place where any four assholes with microphones can make a podcast. That's right? true. You know, I mean, it's hey, <laughs> all right. Any three guys and one asshole can make a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I, I think that the this movie is trash. This movie is a hot mess. But I think knowing what he went through to, tr- to try and get it done, that's the admiral part of it. You know, yeah, it may be trash, but God damn it, we did it. Yeah. Now, that said, I don't ever want to have to watch this again. <laughs> But see, I'm still finding things. I mean, ever since I saw Ed, the Edward movie, the Tim Burton, which is is literally what you know turned me on to his work, and then went down this deep rabbit hole that uh, included books and documentaries and other his entire catalog. Uh, you know, it, I still find new things in the film that I missed in previous viewings, um, and some things that still make me laugh and okay like the world's don't, smallest don't. mausoleum yes the world's smallest mausoleum is rather entertaining and after i watched this i watched the riff tracks of it and it kind of took the took the pain away it was kind of like the back teen on my on my scraped knee i just but don't say layers as in like there's so there's so much depth yeah to this yeah you notice yeah. that the cactus is turned left or right in the corner of the screen or something it's i mean this is people that don't know how to act and people don't know, don't know how to film movies, putting it together. And like I said, I respect it, respect the gumption of it. And I'm respect the fact you got it done. Doesn't mean I got to like it. And we have had this discussion before on other podcasts. We, we, we did this on the mockumentary show, you know, the, or the, the not mockument, the mockbusters, mockbuster show. Yeah. I just, I'm, I am not, of the belief that just because you made something deserve, means it deserves to be lauded or deserves to be watched or deserves anything, you need to earn an audience. And I don't think that this did. And I think it's just one of those things that I am not one of those guys that is going to like appreciate something just because it's so horrible. It's horrible. It doesn't deserve to be appreciated. Well, and I, your your argument was stronger with Mockbusters. Yeah. Be, uh, because Mockbusters didn't really have an audience. They were straight to video. This very clearly. You weren't the audience, but it has one. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I really, I, 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 I this is not provable, but this is one of those things. I have to wonder how many of those people really love it, like actually, and really, you know, love it ironically and like love it because they feel like it's a cult classic. I'm supposed to love it. And, you know, it's, I mean, and there's no way to ever prove, you know, whose love is true and whose love is just, I feel like I have to love this because it's, you know, I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say, but in, the words aren't coming to me. But well, it's just it's one of those things that feels like some people like it because they feel like I'm supposed to like this because it's so bad. And I like I don't you know, I like fringe <laughs> things. So I have to like plan nine. I have to like, you know, stuff like that. I, don't I mean, know. if there's something that's shit, I'm not going to like it just because it's shit. And, and the mockbusters, those are made at the lowest common denominator 
by a studio that's trying to cash in on the success of another franchise and hope that enough people will not pay attention when they're at the. Yeah, they're literally just trying to double their money. Is all you know? Is all they're yeah. trying to do? They don't give a shit about quality or anything. And there's a difference there. Yeah, I have to agree with Josh on this one. The difference between the Mockbusters and this one is the Mockbusters are out to make a quick buck on Grandma, who really isn't sure what Transformers are. Correct. Yeah, and I get that, and I and, and I know that that's not what he's doing, and yet this, that, yeah. and the other. But I mean, I, I don't I don't think he's out to bilk anybody. But I mean, he's clearly not making any anything of quality. Yeah, I don't think he made something that is like good in a traditional sense. But he certainly made something that meant something to somebody, I guess, is my point. And I just have to wonder how much. Yeah. And I have to wonder how much of it is is just echo chamber stuff and how much of it is just, you know, actual appreciation. I mean, there's other filmmakers that that like I'm currently I've taken a deep dive into shot on video stuff. And there's people that don't have the the the. resources he did which he didn't have a lot that are making things you know with a, a vhs camera 80s through the early 90s that um are f- 10 times worse than this in terms of a lot of quality and and other things but they just put so much into it because it was a passion project and sometimes it's you find the the more interesting storytelling when you dig into this kind of stuff because you know once it's gone through a studio the kind of the originality gets you know squeezed out of it but that's another thing it's it's you go and you watch some of these things where it's a little bit more independent or where there's just somebody doing it out of their basement and there's an there's originality to it there's something you've not seen before and sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad sometimes it's in the middle uh and i can appreciate that unironically well and there have been films that have been created into better stuff by people who have like what was that what was the name oh, crap that that youtube short where it had the woman who was turned she turned off the light at the end of the hallway and every time she turned off the light she saw the oh figure. yeah lights out. lights out yeah that got turned into a movie now granted the movie wasn't awesome you know, but it there's uh, there are other versions of that sort of same story where people did like you did. They got a hold of a camera, they threw their threw it up online to show it that it could be done, and then some somebody picked it up and they made something bigger and better out of it. And you know, with that, Dave, David uh, F. Sandberg, who did Lights Out, which I liked the movie version, uh, went on to direct Annabelle Creation, which was crap, but he did Shazam. So you know, there are. Sometimes there's a seed of something in those original things that turn out to be uh, kind of amazing. So what was the amazing thing that, that Ed Wood turned out? Oh, abs- I think absolutely nothing. Well, he yeah, You're, yeah. he never really had the opportunity. Hmm. They only made, what, 18 movies? Yeah, but he was yeah, doing them the on a shoestring, and uh, he was filming them, you know, basically out of his basement. He never had anybody that backed him up, and maybe if he would have had a little bit because more. Because he sucked. Not. You know, you never know. If he was any good, Hollywood would have backed him up. Like Hollywood eh. loves nothing more than backing up somebody's going to make them money. And they knew this guy was a stinker. And that that may very well be true. It, it very well may be true. You know, I I can't argue that point because there's not. I mean, the further he got into his career, and the the you know the more the alcohol took control, 
the worst things got. I mean, they're still trying to throw they're still trying to throw Roman Polanski movies. You know, I mean, they're they're willing to look overlook a lot of crap except for you know the 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 cardinal sin in Hollywood is is you lose money. Yeah, and that's what this guy does. Or you slap well, Chris Rock. <laughs> in five years, nobody's going to give a fuck about that. Yeah, my my thing is, I, I'm I'm on one side. I'm on Pat. On one hand, I'm on Pat's side. I don't believe Ed Wood ever made what you would call a good movie. On mm-hmm. Joel's side of things, I think that I think that if you took Ed Wood pre-alcohol, brought him to the future, handed him a cell phone, and said, "Look at what people can do." He would do some ridiculous off the wall bonker shit, post it to YouTube, and a studio would pick it up and say, Hey, Ed, let's sit down with our writers who know how to write things <laughs> and dialogue and affects people. You have, I mean, because there's, there is a germ of a really good idea in there aliens who come to Earth to raise the dead to take over the Earth because we've gotten too much of, too much into our own hubris in the discovery of smashing the atom. I mean, the problem is there's two movies there. He decided right. to make both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's two movies there and he didn't, he couldn't decide which one he wanted to do, which is why at the time you're like, you almost got whiplash with the, with the tone and scene changes. But I think if you brought him now, there would, a, a, some group would grab him and say, Hey, you know, maybe even shutter would say, Hey, let's make a movie. You've got the gem of an idea. Let's build it from there. Whereas back then, if you didn't have Clark Gable, if you didn't have all these huge names in the movies, you were going nowhere. And I am by no stretch forcing, uh, you know, my thoughts and opinions uh, and expecting somebody else to take them as their own or to say, you know, you have to like this movie. I'm just defending my position on it. And I'm not uh, th- trying to make you feel bad for liking the stuff you like all, all this time I ever rip on you. I just really, yeah, I'm really yeah. Not. I kind of get the opposite feeling, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, you shut <laughs> up! You know I don't care if you like shit. You're you're free. You're free to like shit, but I, I mean, I like that you like shit because it gives me it it gives me the opportunity to rip on you. So it's fun. It works out both ways. It's great. Yeah. If you didn't like Juliana Hatfield so much, it wouldn't be fun to make fun of you for it. I don't yeah. think he's buying your reasoning. <laughs> um, well, I think we're getting to the point where we're probably moving on. I just want to point out that uh, Paul Marco played Kelton the cop. That was not the first time he played it, and that was not the last time he played that character. <laughs> played it four different times. Wait, what? so there's like an adverse? Kind of, yeah. Oh, Kelton Jesus. the cop existed in Bride of the Monster, this, and then two other films after it. Uh, and then, of course, Paul Marco was in the movie we we're going to talk about in the after the break, but not as Kelton. All right. I figured there were some cameos in it. Oh, there were several. I'll, I've got a list. Yeah, of course you do. Oh. <laughs> well, that's what you know. That's just what he's. That's, that's he's yeah, that's what Joel does. That that's his thing. I'm totally for it. So, when we come back, we are going to talk about Plan Nine. 2014's 15. reimagining. What would happen if you gave wait, fans? Wait, 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 we got we got to get we, we got to get into the trivia on this. Wait, save save it for the trivia. Save it for the trivia. Oh. All right, we'll be back in a little bit. All right, we are back, and we are going to talk about Plan Nine. 
<laughs> Plan 9 is the story of Nilbog, a small town with a big story. Big story. The beginning of an invasion. These aliens have a different plan for the inhabitants, inhabitants of Earth to resurrect their dead as their own army set with one goal, to wipe out all mankind. This night will decide the fates of all who walk the planet and though they were the top and, and thought they were the top of the food chain. I don't know who wrote this description in IMDb. That was bad. But this is fantastic. Oh, that was bad. No, no, no. It is. It's it's fantastic because it's just as bad as the opening lines of the original. <laughs> so this is directed by John Johnson, who you would think was a porn star. No. No, it's weird. I think most people don't know John Johnson, uh, but Darkstone Entertainment, like if you know, you know. Well, I know now. <laughs> uh, Josh has spoken of the movie Skeleton Key. Yep. To us before. Uh, he's and brave. it's three sequels. Three sequels. I did not know that. Skeleton Key 2, Skeleton Key 3, and Skeleton Key 3 Part 2. What? Well, it's like Christmas Vacation Part 2. Two guns, a grenade, and a pizza guy. Hunting Chupacabra. <laughs> That's I would watch that. Oh, uh, but yeah, so this guy's known for this sort of thing. Writing credits, John Johnson, and earlier screenplay to Ed Wood Jr. Starring Brian Krause as the new Jeff Trent. He's he's an actual actor, like uh Sarah recognized him. She's like, is that Brian Krause? Which is kind of weird. Well, he was on Charm. There went 90% of the budget. Uh, he is known for, <clears throat> he was on Charmed. He was on Return to the Blue Lagoon and Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. Return to the Charmed Lagoon. Return to the Sleepwalking Charms. Uh, also, Sarah Eselman as Lucy Grimm. Not a great actress. No. And also, everybody knows Mr. Lobo. Well, a lot of people do, actually. Do they really? Yeah, he's he's a fairly well-known mm-hmm. YouTuber. Okay. Yeah, and he's done a bunch of... He's got a ton of film credits. Yeah. He was in Skeleton Key 2. Uh, like, he does mostly this kind of stuff. You may know him from such things as this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got 42 credits on IMDb, which is more, more than, than I have. Uh-huh. 100% don't, more. Hey, don't use my own lines, damn it. While I'm using them. He was in Skeleton, T- Skeleton Key 2, 667, Neighbor of the Beast. <laughs> is that a real thing? That is yes. Thing. Yes. Nice. You won't watch it. He was in the movie called The Taint, where he played the Coxantium spokesperson. Jesus Christ. Yes. But the thing is, Pat, this shit is stuff that we said sitting on the couch, drunk off our asses, rambling while playing Street Fighter. Yes, and we had the common courtesy to not make it a thing. That wasn't courtesy, that was laziness. That's exceed. Josh has it. Amy Hart plays Paula Trent. Uh, she was my favorite part of the entire movie. She is known for Spade, The Showroom Effect, and Fear Fighter. Great movie names. Conrad Brooks plays Jamie. Yay, he's back. Back again? But he was he was in the original. He was one of the policemen. He was Kelton uh, the cop man. Yeah. That was, oh, okay, that's him. Yeah. That was the chief? 
Brian no. Krause. Yeah, that was, no, not the chief. He was the uh, weird dude on the couch. Yeah, with his daughter that was talking about the prophecies. Yeah, the guy who could speak. Oh, yeah, who could see the future. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he was the cop who kept pointing his gun at his own head in the original. Oh, and everybody else pointing his gun at everyone and him, himself included. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I couldn't get that one out for some reason. <clears throat> Plop. Jared Kearney as Eros, Chris J. Duncan as Danny, Matthew Ewald as Jimmy, James Rolfe as Policeman, P- John Patrick Barry as Sergeant Stark, and John Johnson as Officer Kelton. John Johnson is in a lot of his own movies. He was uh, arguably the lead in this. I mean... If I if I was directing movies, there's no way that I would not be in my movies. I will I, I won't roast a guy for that. And while he is not a fantastic actor, he has gotten so much better at acting since his early films in the '90s. He has a little bit of charisma, enough that you know I, I was kind of like, oh, let's see what he's going to do this time. You know, which was like he it. the one with the with the glasses? Yeah, yeah. he was okay. essentially the one of the leads. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you could argue which whether it was. Jeff or him. I mean, they kind of both went back and forth, but they were the leads of their scenes for sure. Correct. All right. So trivia, this movie is a remake of the 1959 Ed Wood cult film plan nine from outer space, which is widely regarding regarding as being one of the worst films ever made due to its nonsensical plot, shoddy production values and incompetent direction. AKA it's overall shittiness. This remake, however, is not intended to be a parody, but rather a good version of the story intending to be a realization of Wood's original vision. Should he have had the necessary budget to achieve it? Well, it's, it's gooder. I'll give it that. (laughs) It's gooder. (laughs) So James Rolfe stars as an unnamed police officer whose name tag merely has the word policeman written on it. (laughs) Rolf has stated that his character's full name is Officer Cop Policeman. And for people who don't recognize James Rolf, he is the angry video game nerd. Oh, I did not recognize him. Yep. Oh. So, just in case you wanted to sit back with a cup of tea, Patrick, he did. Matthew Warner has written the novelization based on John Johnson's screenplay and rough cut of the film. Oh, God. Oh, wow. The novel expands on the point of view of the major characters and provides backstory not seen in the film. Well, the acting in the in the book has to be better, that's for sure. <laughs> not if you're reading it. Darkstone Entertainment Publishing Group, <laughs> Darkstone Productions, published a novel in 2016, and it can be found on Amazon. Can it? Let's find out. But, but why? <laughs> hey, my nephew has a book on Amazon. <laughs> Uh, as mentioned in the ever-famous Cinemassacre video. Your, your sister has a book on Amazon. My sister knows how to write. Right, but I'm just saying, like, why did you not go to your sister? Why did you go to your nephew first? Because my nephew is just... Because <laughs> I like my nephew! <laughs> uh, you can purchase the Plan 9 official movie novelization for $6.31, and it will be to my house on April 30th if I was to buy it today. Don't do that. Already done. God bless it. <laughs> can you del- can you delay it to August? Can you ask him? To- <laughs> I have your address. I want to order this and have it delivered never. I'm going to send it to you, Pat. 
<laughs> you're going to buy this delivery. <laughs> delivery. The fourth of never. <laughs> please, please don't ever bring this to my house. Okay, so James Rolfe, who played policeman, was goofing around with the prop gun between takes, imitating the careless actions of the character uh, that was waving the gun around and scratching his head with it in the original movie, but was quickly warned by the weapon wrangler, don't do that. <laughs> well, most of the time, the guns were not loaded. Even if the guns are loaded with blanks, they can cause fatalities. If they go off accidentally, it's tragically proven with, guess what name they have in here? Uh, there's Alec Baldwin. Well, yeah, Alec Baldwin would be a great one. I was going to say there's several people they could yeah. reference. but uh, Brandon Lee. Freddie Prince Sr. Yeah. Uh, John Eric Hexum. Who is that? That's what I said. Yeah, who is that? Uh, he was in the TV. He was a lead. He, was, he played Phineas Bogg in the TV show Voyagers, was in Hotel, Cover Up, and Voyager from the Unknown. He was born in 57. He died in 84. Huh. Yeah. While trying to prove that you can't kill yourself with blanks. Weird. Huh. We learned something. I don't know. Is that a, I'm, I'm, that, that's a guess. Is that how he died? Oh, I recognize this guy. Yeah. I mean, the, I recognize him from Phineas Fogg, but... Yeah, it's a weird weird place to go to. Oh. Oh, no. You know why? Here we go. I found it. I don't like you either. October 24th, 1984, after a long and draining day shooting of Cover Up the Golden Opportunity... Hexum became bored with the extensive delays and jokingly put a Prop 44 revolver to his temple and pulled the trigger. The gun fired, and the wadding from the blank cartridge shattered his skull, Jesus. whereupon the mortally injured Hexum was rushed via ambulance to the Beverly Hills Medical Center to undergo ambulance. When you ambulance. go to Beverly Hills. It's ambulance. Ambulance. Uh, despite five hours of work, the chief surgeon described the damage to Hexum's brain as life-ending. One week later, on October 18th, he was taken off life support and pronounced dead. That's what people. A lot of people don't seem to understand about blanks is there's. It's still like a bullet. Yeah, there's still shit coming out of the tip. It's just. It's just less of a bullet. It's like it's. It's not quite a full bullet, but it's still a bullet. He was 26 years old. Wow. So, okay, that makes a hell of a lot more sense. He, he still is. Really? What? <laughs> no, he's well, not wrong. Yeah, I know he's, not. he's right. <laughs> okay, he is right. I remember Voyagers. That was... All right, before before I, before I we get down the line of talking about Voyagers, because we don't want to talk about Plan 9. I want to talk about Plan I 9. I do. Yeah. You want to talk about Plan 9? Yes. It sucked. I'm done. You know I'm not done. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed this. Oh. This this was awful, but awful in a much more palatable way than the original Plan 9 was. Here's the thing, is the acting was not particularly good, but I think that the script decided that, okay, we're going to take the original, and there's some stuff that's nonsense. We don't want to contradict the original. We want to explain the stuff that doesn't make sense. Like, why was the old man wearing a Dracula cape? <laughs> they also wanted... Someone who looked kind of like Tor Johnson, but could actually put a sentence together. They got that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they spent a lot of effort correcting their sins of the fathers, for sure. What exactly is Solaronite? Oh, we'll explain it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they, they did a good job 
of doing reference to the original, paying homage to the original, and correcting the original. There's no denying that. The aliens had a plan. The aliens were cool. Um, and f- this wasn't obviously shot in the same three rooms in somebody's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, all of these, like, I can forgive a whole lot of not great acting when the script is decent, the effects are cool, the sets are so much better. I, and I will absolutely say I am grading by the curve because I watched these back to back. If I was comparing this to like a legitimately good movie, I would not have such a glowing uh, review of it. But I watched the original twice. I will probably not watch it a third time, despite the fact I respect it more than Pat and Mike do. This I might watch again. Yeah. I respect it. I I agree uh, that it's, I, don't, I, I don't. I I respect the ingenuity that came to that was created that came forward to make the movie. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one. The movie that, I'm is the one that good. says it has zero value. Yeah, yeah. Like, not, Patrick yeah. says it's just shit. I say it's yeah, it's not a great movie. I honestly think it's a kind of an awful movie. But I respect the the gumption that he took to get it made. Yeah, it is kind of boring. And I thought that for all of the flaws in terms of like acting skill with this, this was not boring. I did not find myself pausing it. I watched it all the way through and I had a good time and I will probably watch it again. I, uh, I agree. Well, and I actually did watch it a second time. Um, it has 99.9% more nudity, Patrick. So I figured you'd appreciate that. (laughs) I do. That's probably, I'm not going to yada yada over the boobs. When we were watching this, cause Laura watched it the first time with me, you know, it starts out with the, the Criswell predicts thing. And as soon as they break that and you know, you're like, okay, this is not the same movie in the same way. Um, I was like, okay, uh, let's see where this goes. And I, I did appreciate the, there's a lot of uh, nods to other films in this. Uh, just a couple like Nilbog, of course, is from Troll 2. Uh, Nilbog is also the town from almost all of John Johnson's movies. Uh, the Skeleton oh. and the Key series is also set in Nilbog. Sorry to jump in on you like that, but no, like, that's you, fine. you didn't know that. I was going to say back off, man. I'm a scientist. Yep. And then if you notice the the DJ's wearing a Stephen King's rules shirt from the Monster Squad. I don't know if anybody caught that. Oh, I knew I noticed a shirt, but I didn't. I, uh, didn't, I didn't catch what it was. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, I noticed. Plus, they have, uh, like we mentioned, you know, uh, Paul or uh, Kelton, the cop is the original actor, Paul uh, Marco. Is is in this again? Uh, you know, angry video game nerd Camille Keaton was in it uh, from I Spit on Your Grave, and Mike Christopher, who was the original the Harry Krishna zombie from Dawn of the Dead '78. So you know he's paying homage to a lot of okay. classic. I you know. I can respect that. You know, you're making a movie in the same genre of that. You pull all these people for little winks and nods. But there are some things that are complete nonsense, like. Okay, so you've got two guys flying the plane that actually looks a lot more realistic. Oh my god, it looks so bad in the first movie. Yeah, because it looked like a plane. They're just holding. They're, they were just holding two like triangular home plates or something in the first movie. Yeah, it was a couple. It was a. It was like a piece of plywood. But it looked better. Here's the thing: I don't understand. They mention it several times. They're like, "We've been up here for a couple months. It's good to be back home." I'm like. You were flying in a passenger plane for two months with the girl in the back seat. 
who pees herself. Right. What did they mean? Because they say it several times, and I'm like, well, maybe they're going to clarify. Like, they were, you know, out going around doing some sort of scientific thing. But these guys were just pilots that were piloting the woman. What were they doing for two months? They probably didn't have another stop back to fucking Nilbog International. (laughs) (laughs) That was my guess. It's like, I didn't think that needed clarification. I think that they were out doing, like flying to actual airfields in bigger towns aside from this little dinky nowhere in Virginia. Uh, and then this is the first time they had the opportunity to actually land at their home airfield in months. Yeah. Okay. Somebody actually wants to go there. Oh, right. Okay. I want to go to there. And I agree with you about the effects, Josh. There was one in particular where there was a woman who had the uh, Halloween three or Halloween. Yeah. Um, look where, if you remember in that film, for those of you who have seen it, where the woman, blows up her face basically there was a woman who was one of the zombies who had the same similar effect and it was actually really well done i was impressed i'll say i will say the effects were above par yeah the the gore the gore makeup yeah it was it was pretty good yeah uh-huh. and he's been doing this a long time uh, and uh, he's made a ton of movies and the early stuff, while it's occasionally hilarious, it's really rough around the edges. I think John Johnson at the beginning of his career was a lot like Ed Wood with a little bit more money, only he got more money and he got the time to practice and to get better. Maybe not like awesome, but better. So I appreciated seeing his journey, considering I've seen a lot of his early films. Well, and I I admittedly will say that I'm going to seek out other things now after seeing this um, because I was thoroughly entertained, even on the second watching. And can anybody tell me, number one, why w- did the cops have a really old cop car? And number two, how did the old guy get down uh, from being hung up uh, by the electrical cord? Uh, one, because you can buy a really uh, old cop car pretty cheap from an auction. And two, I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. Wait, they showed him, they showed him get down, and I don't remember how. I th- I thought like a zombie like pulled him down, or maybe his house was old and the thing broke. Did the vampire woman get him down? Oh, maybe they showed his him wife? come down. That was his wife. Right, but I'm saying like, did she get him down? Is that how they reunited? All I remember is he was hanging up there, and then after the the second EMP pulse, whatever. Uh, went out, made him smarter. It made him brought him back to life. Um, and you could see his feet moving, and then all of a sudden he's out killing the girl in the shower and whatever else. And so oh, I don't know. Pat makes Pat makes a good point. Uh, the ones that were already animated from the first pulse got smarter on the second pulse. So while they didn't show it, either he got himself down or his wife got him down because he was dead uh, for the first two pulses. Because they talked, I mean, they talk about that, that as they, as it goes on, it gets further out and the people that were hit the first time, if they get hit a second time, they get more intelligent. See, I thought that was actually a pretty cool concept. Yeah. Yes. They start in this little rinky dink nowhere town. They start putting the pulse out even further and further every single time. And they level up every time if you're. Right. And they take over the world that way. That's actually a pretty cool idea. Right. Instead of just raising three of them, inviting the humans into your ship and having no plans if they have any weapons. You don't need a gun. I think we do. And just expecting you're going to, to smarm them to death. 
You're stupid! 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 You're stupid minds! Stupid! Stupid! And John Johnson apparently has no problems with murdering kids. That's a right? fairly big Seriously? no-no in, in horror movies. Now, I, I honestly, I was kind of impressed with that twice. When when the mom fed the uh, the the poison, not the poison, pumped her daughter full of painkillers. On that one, I was like, "This really can't be happening right now. This is not." Like, I mean, if you're if you're that dumb as a kid that you're just going to keep taking pills over and over and over, you know. You kind of, I mean, that's that's kind of, you're, you're kind of helping Darwin out there a little bit. But that little girl in her pajamas, she like ripped her open. Oh yeah, the when the kitchen. Yeah, the zombies, zombies got her, and yeah, it was a little bit of a shock because Joel's right. Usually, the little kids aren't shown killed on screen. Right. I had to rewind it because I'm like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Or the one kid that tried to cross the bridge with all the other adults oh, and they got yeah. gunned down. That was a little little kid. Yeah, like a toddler. But I mean, I, I props to that, you know. I mean, I, as a, as a filmmaker, I think that's a good that, that's a good maneuver. Are you a filmmaker? He could be. What if well, I think it's a, 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 you, I, you knew what I meant, you son of a bitch. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know what kind of I've seen some of your films. Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> and I'm going to go on record with a very controversial take. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. hot take. Yeah, Mr. Lobo is a shit actor. Oh my god! He, every single scene he was in that took me out with how bad of an actor he was. Really? Oh my god! Yeah, he was just horrible. Like See, just trying, was, trying way too hard. I didn't think he was a great actor, but like his character actually had an arc. So I just—I I mean, I, he took me—he took me out of the movie almost immediately. He was so bad. Like that opening scene when they did the breakaway, and like I was like, okay, they're gonna do a whole like thing where like. Whatever, and I was kind of into it, and then his acting literally took me out of that within like like sixty seconds. I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's horrible." Well, I feel like if John Johnson had a little bit more time and somebody to help with the script, he's got some some skills, and there was some f- genuinely funny stuff, clever stuff, creative stuff in the movie. Yeah, I'm sorry I don't, to Joel. I have to tell you, my favorite lines in the movie is. Yeah. At the very end, when the one clone alien is releasing the poison, the cop shoots him. I shot the guy who was putting out the poison. <laughs> yeah, I saw I that. Saw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> I, I, that was, I don't do it often, especially in movies like these, but I stopped, rewound it, called everybody into the room. I'm like, hey, check this out. This is an amazing scene. I was just gonna say it's one of those scenes that like it, it seems like such a simple thing to write, but it's it's so realistic because that's kind of what would have happened in the moment. Well, it's like or Mister Lobo saying, you know, well, let's go, let's go finish the third act. Or, uh, oh, see, that kind of made sense with him because he is in this supposed to be an actor, right? So I, right. I was able to buy that. You know, he is still Criswell, but he's also in the movie. They don't explain it, but it's fine. Yeah, and then the, there's the scene where uh, Kelton and the girl go out to uh, uh, to try and you know get out of the store and get to the car or whatever, and he's like, "Oh, it's a, just a slow moving zombies." Nope, nope, we gotta go. <laughs> and they start, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> well, oh, luckily they're slow ones. Oh no, no, they're not. 
That was good. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I just a lot of good stuff. Like, I'm tired of this. I can make it. He opens up the door and instantly, he's like, nope. <laughs> then see, he did that often with that kind of like like when um the the bald inspector dude went to go check out the the cemetery, and the he pulls up with the other cop. And he's like. Oh, we're not going to have to walk right across a graveyard, are we? Oh, yeah. no, I'll do it. You wait with the car. Oh, man, he's so... It's like going, it's gone. Or the guy yeah. that's like, I'm not going to die tonight. And then he's just going to snap. <laughs> yeah. snap his neck. I, I did appreciate that that scene. That one did make me laugh. I'm it not dying like tonight. like you enjoyed this more than you thought oh, you did. Oh, shut up. No. Yeah, I think and, he's right. No, because the problem is it had moments of hilarity from, like bit characters but all the acting from every major character was horrible so 90 percent of the screen time was taken up by bad acting and maybe these other people that only had two or three lines would have been bad if they'd had more lines but the writing itself as i, I said this actually it off um off screen i said this <laughs> earlier when we weren't recording but i i stick with this off it air. wasn't so much that the writing was bad but the delivery was horrible for everyone like so, some of the lines were were a little bit wooden, but it was much more the delivery than it was the line itself. And Mr. Lobo to me was 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 the ground zero of that. Or like Miss Doctor Exposition. No, actually, she was probably yeah, she was probably ground zero. She Mr. was a Lobo. bad actress. Yeah, yeah. And all her you know all her lines were so wooden and just you know, yeah. So I, I mean, I think I agree with you. I think that uh, John Johnson has potential, but I don't think this movie is the. Uh, I hope this movie isn't the end of his potential. <laughs> he hopes he has a. He knows he has potential, and he hopes someone will tell him about it later. Right? Like someone figure out how to tap into this guy's potential because he doesn't understand how to. I just feel yeah. like if he if he had somebody to kind of temper things and to do a little clean up, a little tweak, you know, if he got a, if he there. had a, if if he found a good mentor. He he could he's because he's got uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on it just it's a little unfocused because uh, I think he's probably doing it on his own and doesn't want to have to answer it to anybody you know it's well, his vision and his sixty credits like he's got like people that watch Darkstone Entertainment films they know what they're getting and, and they're I very think, happy with what they're getting I think yeah and that's the thing is originally you could see from his first early stuff which I, i'm a fan from way back even though they're not great it is clearly this guy and his buddies fucking around and somehow a movie came out the other side and he just kept doing it and like anything like if you keep doing it you get a little better each time right but i mean by 60 movies you should have your shit together and i feel like this guy still doesn't you're going to find some stuff where it's like there's a lot of, oh, my God, that was hilarious. Okay, that was confusing. Boobs. That wasn't very good. Okay, that was fucking funny. More boobs. <laughs> or we just find, we just finished a fight, turn around, and then when the, um, the alien clones started showing up, they finish up the fight, they turn around, he just goes, ah, rips the guy's heart clean out and then runs away. Right. <laughs> Like, and and you know what? I rewound a lot of this movie because it wasn't a matter of <laughs> I needed to see that scene again. It was so awesome. It was a moment of what just happened. Yeah, right. Like, wait, did that, did it, wait, what? Yeah, more boobs. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the I thing do. I if... do have to thank this movie for introducing me to my new crush of Amy Hart. 
Yeah, so. If you want like a, a lot of like this part is funny, lots of boobs, splatterhouse horror. That's that's what the uh, Skeleton Key series is for. Plus music numbers, which is odd. And now John Johnson is filming Shark, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Shark, you son of a bitch. That is the name of the movie. And uh, he's going to be returning as Detective Kelton. For shark, you son of a bitch. Oh, he's a detective now. Oh, so now he's starting his own little Kelton universe. Yeah, I think he may have played uh, Detective Kelton in a few of these others. I don't know if he's Detective Kelton in uh, Skeleton Key. No, he's Howard in Skeleton Key. Howard Kelton? Just Howard. So I do have to thank you, Joel, because watching this on Tubi, and they do that, you just watch this. You may be interested in this. <laughs> yeah. Watch Pro Wrestlers versus Zombies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Starring, Pat, you're going to love this, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Dugan, and Matt Hardy. Oh, God. Oh, I'm sorry. Shane Douglas is in it, too. Oh, the, the, oh, craft, well, yeah. the craft budget on that set must have been outrageous. That was a Matt Hardy got fat joke, for those of you listening in. But uh, pretty awful. We got about 20 minutes into it before we were like, all right, done. But that's a thing I discovered exists. Yeah, there's a lot of Tubi is is fun because you never know what you're going to get. But there's also a lot of stuff you don't want. Uh, But there's a lot of good stuff on there. Sounds like a lot of orgies I've been to. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> There's a glue at the door. It's you never know what you're gonna get, and sometimes it's something you don't want. But you know, it's it's free though, so you know. And yeah. sometimes free is okay. Again, <laughs> Cody Knotts, who did such things as Kicksburg and Bus Party to Hell, Bus Party to Hell, Gore Orphanage, Orphanage. Yeah, okay, Gorfinage. Gorfinage, yeah. While you guys were chatting, Pat, I found out for you who Shower Girl was. Uh, yeah. Amy, yeah, Amy Hart is was one of your questions, but Brandy Mason is basically known for doing like nude scenes in low budget uh, horror movies, including Don't Fuck in the Woods, Wrestle Massacre, and Pig Girl. <laughs> um, ah, sounds yeah. like my kind of woman. Yeah, both Brandy Mason and Amy Hart are in a bunch of these low-budget things, and a lot of them with John Johnson. I I can see that you've got uh, Policeman Kelton becomes Detective Kelton, who eventually becomes Sheriff Kelton. Oh, Oh. he gets a promotion. So, yes, there's a lot beyond Plan 9. for The, The character has a trajectory. Yeah, by the time he's in the TV series House on the Hill, John Johnson is playing Sheriff Kelton. Mm. And what is Amy Hart doing? Uh, she's playing a character called Samantha. Oh, don't turn me into a John Johnson fan. I'm going to start watching his stuff just for her. I was going to say, you're, you realize what you have to watch in order to get your fix. All right, I, I think, think it's time. Oh, yeah. Cool. No, no, we, we, can, we can talk afterwards about John Johnson. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's time for thumbs up, thumbs down. So, leave the obvious ones to the end. But Joel. Yes. I thought you said leave the obvious ones to the end. He did. 
That's why I was like, really? You're well, I was, I, I was talking about Patrick, but I mean, that's... oh, okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, that's not to be obvious, but uh, thumbs up for both, Josh. I'm going to have to go thumbs down for the original. Although I respect it, I do not enjoy it. Uh, and a big thumbs up for the remake. Uh, I'm going to go with thumbs down and thumbs down. While I chuckled a couple times, I don't think I'm going to be searching out any other of the Johnson joints. <laughs> Johnson <Hand> joints. <laughs> Hand rolled. Patrick. Oh, a thumb way, way down. Both thumbs, all fingers, everything down for the original Plan 9 from Outer Space. That movie stinks on ice. Um, and I mean, it's, it's less of a thumbs down than I had originally, like coming fresh off of watching it. I was just like, you know, while I'm watching it, I'm like, this movie stinks and it's bad, but like thinking about it in retrospect, you know, the graphics were good and, you know, the special effects were good and, you know, boobs of course always help. And, you know, but it just wasn't good and I didn't enjoy it. So thumbs down. Well, all right. The acting was just the acting was just too bad. I mean, it just really was. It just I it took me out of every scene. I had to keep pausing the movie over and over again because I just couldn't get into it. All right. Well, if you have a schlock horror that you would like us to watch to torture Patrick, <laughs> uh, yes. you you could fuck right off. Is the end of that sentence? <laughs> yeah, you can uh, let us know. Give us a call at seven zero eight now. Wrap that's seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven. Yep. And if you'd like to find more of our stuff, you can find our back catalog of shows on Podbean or Pandora or honestly any of your favorite podcast apps that are out there. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear about it. So you can leave us a review on Apple, Google, or Amazon podcasts and support us through the Kofi link in the show notes and help us keep internet money costs at bay. Joel, what do we got coming up? Uh, just a couple of highlights here. TV theme songs. Uh, we're also going to be taking a little dive into the I Love Lucy versus Being the Ricardos. Uh, Kids in the Hall is coming and a little Chip and Dale. Nice. Not Chippendales, Chip and Dale. Rescue Rangers. I'm no Superman. TV theme songs coming up. Oh, I was like, what does that have uh, to do with that? That's Patrick's. Uh, that's Patrick's strip song when he's working the clubs. <laughs> I'm no Superman. <laughs> yeah, Weird. the theme song, the Scrubs. I just put it on a loop, and I'm just up there dancing. And then, no, it's just a thirty second dance. Oh, that's even better. Oh. <laughs> I'm they tried putting it on a loop. He made more yeah. money when it was only 30 seconds long. <laughs> and I'm winded, so I just got to stop. I'm like, okay, yeah. We're done. The lady's People like, thank God. Sh- they're throwing You're change sh- at his head. <laughs> making it, they're making Hold it hail. Hold on to the pole. Woo! This is tough. <laughs> Make it hail. <laughs> He's like, that's a washer. That's not even a quarter. <laughs> Get off the stage. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Someone shit my pants.